For the next three weeks, Ian will be hard in the slightest, because we're talking UFOs. Only now, we're focusing on the disinformation campaigns. We'll start by discussing bizarre cattle mutilations in Dulce, New Mexico. That then introduces us to Paul Benowitz. We'll follow Paul as he plunges into UFO paranoia that eventually raises flags within the United States military. Q. Richard Doty, Disinformation Extraordinaire. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you're a fan of bovine alien abductions, stick around, because this episode is going to be utterly amazing. I was afraid I was going to butcher that opening, trying to beef it up like that. You know, the stakes are so high. Anyway, moving on. This is Necronomapod. few extra minutes before we came over today to start recording typically pregame ritual you know i was uh googling florence pew ass photos to jerk <laughs> off to just to relieve tension mm-hmm. per usual before we you know started recording and you know that usually can kill take a you know anywhere from two to two and a half hours and then i finish and <laughs> good to go for the show got done real quick today and i Nothing else to do, so I started watching clips on Instagram of that uh, that show, Hot Ones. Have we discussed that before? I know we have off air, where that guy interviews celebrities while they're eating chicken wings that progressively oh, get yeah, spicier yeah. and spicier. That show is so fucking that's good. That's good. It is so good. I think it's a YouTube show. I think that's where that they're on. Right. Have you seen this, Ian? I've seen clips of it. I've never seen a full episode. I remember one night, like on YouTube, I watched like f- 10 episodes of it, because they're pretty quick, but it's so good. And it's so wild to see like celebrities in like that kind of environment mm-hmm. because it's not like the typical like talk show late night thing or or red carpet. Like they're they're like struggling with these hot wings and you're just watching them like, oh, look at that. I think I just saw Scarlett Johansson shit her pants <laughs> on this interview. <laughs> and now, you know, she seems just normal like me. All right. The Idris Elba one's real good. He's like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I think Megan the Stallion was on there. They'd get everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melissa McCarthy had ready whip that she was spraying <laughs> in her mouth because she's like, I heard this helps. <laughs> um, but anyways, it got me in the mood. Like I would do, I would never do like an actual interview or anything like that. I would do hot ones if they called them. We're like, hey, we want Mike Nalapa to do hot ones. All I would right. do that. That is the only thing I will ever accept in my life. Can we make that happen? What are they eating on there? Like ghost peppers? Are they going beyond ghost peppers? So I think each season, and I don't know for sure, has like a different lineup of eight sauces. And it's, I don't know if it's based on who sponsors or what, but it's like, it's like one through eight. And, you know, it starts mild and gets mm-hmm. hotter. But like, there's times where like, I just saw, um, who's, uh, who's Rogan's friend? Joey Diaz? Yeah. Like he was on the second one. He was sweating profusely through his clothing. <laughs> like he was glistening with sweat and like his entire chest. It looked like he was wearing a bib. It was sweat. And I was like, this is amazing. I, so tonight when we're done, I might go home and watch a couple episodes of that. Cause it's well, so good. Florence Pugh was on there, right? 
I think I don't rem- I didn't see her clip. I think I've seen her on there. Yeah. I had watched a few episodes years ago and then forgot about it. And every now and then I'll see clips. But then tonight I was, you know, just scrolling through like their Instagram feed. Yeah. And I was like, man, there's some funny stuff. I'd be curious to see how hot they went. Like I've done the Quaker steak challenge a couple times with their triple atomics, mm-hmm. like 350,000 Scoville. And at that point, like there's no taste. It's just, oh, it, it just hurts. No, they taste great. Those ones taste great. The triple atomic wings at Quaker Steak are very good. All right, I've not had those ones. No, it was the old in the old. They, I think they've replaced them since. I think they With use something a, else? a ghost pepper now. But whatever the old one was a couple years ago when I did it, no, they were quite tasty. I watched the Ronda Rousey episode, and she's married to Travis Brown, MMA fighter, and like she was like four or five in, and she goes, "Oh, oh." Bad news for Travis. He doesn't get to eat my ass for at least a few weeks. <laughs> I was like, oh, my. <laughs> Don't worry, Florence. I wouldn't do that to you. I'd still show up that night. My eyes burning. <laughs> my eyes watering. Like, oh, keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> she did fart in my face after all. That happened. You in liked a, it. In a dream. I didn't hate it. Didn't hate it. I think I unlocked a new kink. So that's what I got going on. What's up with you guys? Nothing as good as that. Mm-mm. Definitely not as good as that. <laughs> you guys aren't living that great life that I'm living over here? <laughs> Exciting times down at the Mike Palace. <laughs> uh, Remember that lady that made like a million dollars off selling farts in the during jar. COVID? Yeah. yeah. I forgot all about We discussed it, I think, on the show. Did we? That's a great business model. <laughs> and she had to go to the hospital for something, though. Yeah, she ate too much, <laughs> too much stuff that would... <laughs> Fart generating material. Stomach just tore the fuck up. (laughs) At that point, would you not just start kayfabing that a little bit? Like maybe have a jar and just keep like an like an old egg in it for a little bit, then dump the (laughs) egg out, close the jar, and send it off. You could easily just gimmick that. There's probably dudes that know the difference. They're like like, real into that. This isn't your fart. Hmm. All right. So hey, she has very high moral standards, though, don't you think, to actually be producing farts when you could just kind of half-ass it? When you could kayfabe Half-ass it, you know? it and put anything <laughs> in there? <laughs> like, at some point, you think she, like, she could just be burping into them. Nope. Without anything. Yeah. Fresh from the booty hole. <laughs> I regret saying that. I instantly <laughs> regret saying that. I should not have said that. Hi, Mike. <laughs> You said I could never come in here again, but you just said the magic <laughs> word. You said the magic word, booty hole. What you say? Booty hole, booty hole, booty hole. <laughs> say it three times and he appears. <laughs> you rub your wiener and say booty hole three times. Now I appear from heaven. Heaven sent. I'm 37. I'm too old for getting to draw him in. It's true. <laughs> By like 30 years. Oh, All right. Well, so this was a two-parter that turned into three. This is a big story. It's going to answer a lot of questions for people, I think. If they've been paying attention to what yeah, what we've been talking about the past five years, I think some, some, some stuff's going to click for people. And we teased. I went back and checked the notes because it was all very familiar to me. We teased pretty much all of we're covering on part one at the end of our Majestic 12 episode. Was that Patreon or was that a release? That was regular. We teased the last page That's of Majestic right. 12. That's true was essentially all of what we're going to get into in part one here, just a, a, an extreme deep dive. It holds a lot of the myth and lore of current, you know, modern-day UFO thinking. and You can trace it all back to this story. Brings it all home. So let's set the stage for this story and first kind of get an idea of where everything took place. 
Dulce, New Mexico isn't a town or city. It's a small census designated place in Rio Arriba County, New Mexico. There's just over 2,700 people living in Dulce and almost everyone living there are Native Americans. Dulce was founded in 1877 by Jose Gomez as pretty much a huge ranch, which at first it was called Agua Dulce, translated to sweet water for the natural springs that were on that land for cattle to drink. Mm. Last week we talked a lot about El Duce. Now we're talking about Dulce. Coincidence? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? I think it was all premeditated. Mm. In 1887, the Hickory Apache Reservation was formed and the Hickory Apache were forced from their native land to the Dulce area. There weren't any issues between the Gomez's and the Hickory Apache. The Gomez's pretty much ran their ranch right in the middle of the Hickory Apache affairs, and everyone got along. In the era that this story takes place is in the 1970s, and ownership of the Gomez ranch went to Manuel Gomez, and nothing changed. Everyone just lived side by side. To this day, Dulce is the headquarters for the Hickory Apache Reservation. Dulce, New Mexico is also a two-hour drive from Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which Kirtland Air Force Base is eventually going to play a really big role in this story. Gabe Valdez passed away in 2011, but back in 1976, he was 32 years old and a very respected New Mexico state police officer. Gabe Valdez played a big role in bridging the trust gap between state law enforcement and the Hickory Apache Reservation. Bridging that gap also meant that Gabe Valdez was really close with Manuel Gomez, the you know, from the family that started the ranch there. It's just a really interesting piece of history, I think, like the dynamics of a reservation being forced onto a town and basically everyone kind of coming up with their own coexisting town. So was Gomez not part of the Hickory Apache tribe then? They just happened to be on the land that ended up forming the reservation? Right. Hmm. The Gomez family, yeah, they're not Native American. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. It sounded like they they founded Dulce, and Mm -hmm. then the U.S. government was like, yeah, we're just going to put these people here because we're forcing them out of where they live. Sounds about accurate. Yeah. But it still goes on to this day, so it's kind of interesting. On June 13th, 1976, Manuel Gomez put a call into Gabe Valdez. Manuel was super upset and told Valdez that he needed to get out there now. When Valdez got there, Manuel took him to a spot near the back of his ranch and showed Valdez a cow that had been mutilated. This wasn't like the cow died and scavengers got a hold of it. This cow was mutilated with surgical precision and it was drained of blood, even though there was no blood on the ground. The cow was missing its genitalia, left ear, tongue, udder, and rectum. I feel like we're going to find Declan like that someday. I will never look at Declan's rectum. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well if it's missing you don't have to right it's true would it really be the worst thing in the world like if he was mutilated like that who gives a shit <laughs> oh my god if i can go steal a chimpanzee from the cleveland zoo it would be more beneficial <laughs> to this podcast than fucking declan i think it was on skinwalker ranch we covered cattle mutilation we did pretty extensive like we got into the fbi's investigation into Mm -hmm. that uh so all that stuff is going going to be going on right in the background of this story it's all going on at the same time pretty much 
for the next year and a half, Gabe Valdez became the cattle mutilation guy. Hey, hey. <laughs> Congrats, Gabe. Does that come with a promotion? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he was really thrilled about that <laughs> at first. All you can eat cheeseburgers at Mc, uh, McDonald's. Can you, if you, if that was your job, could you ever really eat beef again? Do you think, or do you think you could put it aside and be like, yeah, I could do that still. Probably wouldn't have a craving for it, right? I don't think I would. I think I probably have a little lost, lost appetite there. Sticking with chicken and turkey and some pork, fish. Yeah, yeah, maybe. All right, just a thought. Maybe no meat. Honestly, seeing mutilated cattle every day. Maybe, I could see that. Or I'd maybe going, some of it's fresh. You can just take it home with you from the job site. There's nothing left. It sounds like. Well, just the <laughs> rectum's gone. I'm not eating that. Maybe some delicious <laughs> cow tongues left, though. They Who took knows? that too. All right, oh, the well, tongue was gone. You're right. Yeah, it was. Hmm. Like, I don't know. Anyways. The genitalia are gone. No Rocky Mountain oysters. What's left to eat? <laughs> sushi it is. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but sushi and vegetarian beyond that. Wouldn't be a bad thing. Some of these mutilations were clearly scavengers and others weren't. Other ones had the surgical precision and no blood. In total, Gabe Valdez had 23 cases around the surrounding Dulce area where cattle were mutilated in what seemed to be, at the time, an impossible way. Just because of the precision? Yeah. Okay. And why type thing. It's not like, it wasn't like some type of local issue that was going on between two ranchers and someone killed someone else's cattle. You <laughs> yeah, know what right, I mean? It right. wasn't anything like that going on. A rancher on. didn't do this. Right. There was also another trend in these cases. The mutilations were often accompanied by strange lights in the sky and sometimes silent all-black helicopters. Lights that would just silently hover. Sometimes the lights would just silently fly away. Other times they seemed to just disappear in the blink of an eye, going super fast to, you know, classic UFO stuff. In the beginning of 1978, Valdez got a late-night call from Hickoria Apache Nation police chief, Rally Tafoya. Tafoya owned cattle, and he found four of his cows dead and mutilated. Valdez recalled this later on, saying that he was kind of getting tired of it at this point. You know, there were no answers. He wasn't making any progress. So he told Tafoya that he would come by in the morning to look. Tafoya's like, yeah, I, I get it, but you need to come now. Usually the lights disappear, but this time they're just hovering, and they aren't leaving. So Valdez immediately jumped in his car because up until this point, he hadn't seen the lights for himself. He was just taking down reports. And cattle aren't cheap. No, I, I mean, mean... That's a big monetary loss when someone guts your cattle like that. Fuck yeah, it's a huge business, yeah. especially back then. We talked about it in Skinwalker Ranch when we covered it, like the millions that these ranchers were losing. Exactly. Yeah, it's weird that it's mutilated like that, but that's your bottom line. That's your livelihood we're talking about. Former United States President Theodore Roosevelt... Uh, raised cattle out west during his up-and-coming time in American politics. Yeah. More on Theodore Roosevelt coming soon to Mike's Presidential History Corner. Really? Stick around <laughs> for that later this month. Well, <laughs> We will not be talking about cows. cows. No. Nothing to do with that. I mean, we might mention them maybe, yeah. just because. Just I might bring up cheeseburgers, but <laughs> that's not out of the ordinary, I don't think. A little Rough Rider show. We'll talk a little Rough Rider. <laughs> All right. Because how could you not? Now you're speaking my language, pal. 
when Valdez got there, there were a couple of tribal police officers standing with Tafoya, watching an orange light in the distance, silently hovering in the air. Valdez later compared it to a fishing bobber, just bobbing up and down in the air. So I thought the tribal officers usually took care of all this stuff. And they didn't want outside interference. Were they tight with this guy or they just, he's the cattle mutilation guy. So we want to bring him in for some help. Yeah. He was like, like we said before, he, he bridged the gap between so state police. They didn't have police. those kind of jurisdictional issues that you might normally see. No. And, and I think it was just, it was just him. They were calling all the New Mexico state police. In. Right. He had the it was, rapport with them. He was the guy. Okay. Yeah. The light didn't seem that far away, so Valdez told the tribal officers, let's get in our vehicles, turn out the headlights, and drive into the desert toward the light. He got in his car and drove to where he was almost right under it, and then all of a sudden the light disappeared. He stopped his car, super pissed, and turned around to look for the other tribal officers, and the light was back, but now about two miles away. That's what your cat feels like when you fuck with it with your laser pen. Motherfucker! (laughs) (laughs) this same exact thing happened multiple times and then valdez got an idea he thought that maybe whatever this aircraft was that it might have been intercepting radio transmissions between him and the tribal officers so valdez told everyone to turn turn off their radios and this worked and they were able to kind of surround the light while it was hovering in the sky valdez got out of his car got on a megaphone and started yelling for whoever was flying it to land but he got no response. Probably super irresponsible. It sounds like something out of an action movie, but Valdez <laughs> just grabbed his gun and pointed at the sky and started unloading on this light and nothing. Police would never pull out their guns and just start unloading <laughs> on something. <laughs> Stop it. This is ridiculous. Eventually, the light turned and silently flew away until it was completely out of sight. The cattle mutilation issue needed to go above Valdez. So on April 20th, 1979... Senator Harrison Smith of New Mexico held a meeting at the Albuquerque Public Library to come up with a plan to get to the bottom of what was going on. Which, speaking of tying everything together, I'm, I'm pretty sure we talked about this exact meeting in Skinwalker Ranch as well. Okay. At a public library. And all it's just crazy how all this stuff was going on at the same time. What? When did the Skinwalker Ranch stuff start? Late seventies as well, or we just seventies. Co- we covered like the the cattle mutilation phenomena leading up to it, you know, because okay. that was a big issue for the Gormans. What kind of kicked it off for them was their cattle were getting mutilated, which led them to sell their ranch, right? Eventually, all after the weird shit going on there, yeah. So all these people we talked about so far were there, and Gabe Valdez gave a presentation of the evidence he had collected. At that meeting was Albuquerque resident Paul Benowitz. Paul had been monitoring strange lights over Kirtland Air Force Base and thought that maybe the lights Valdez and the ranchers were seeing were the same ones that he was seeing. So Paul introduced himself to Valdez and these two meeting at this public library would be the spark that's going to form UFO myths and lore that we've talked about on almost every UFO episode. This is the spark that creates that lore. Mm. Very serendipitous meeting, then. Very mm. important stuff. In an Albuquerque public library. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> At a shitty UFO meeting about cattle <laughs> mutilations. It's weird how things happen. That's where we'll pick up next week. 
before we get into Paul Benowitz and how he got to the point of being at that cattle mutilation meeting, kind of want to wrap up Valdez and Paul's first encounter. Paul told Valdez how he had been monitoring strange lights over Kirtland Air Force Base. And Paul tells him, I own this company called Thunder Scientific, and I make all kind of electronics for the military and NASA. I made some instruments to monitor these lights, and I think I can help you figure out the connection between the strange lights and the cattle mutilation. Valdez was kind of like, uh, okay, man, maybe, you know, I'll give you a call next time that there's a, uh, a mutilation case. And did he? Yeah. So okay. we, uh, we're not going to talk a ton about Gabe Valdez from this point forward, but he was out there with Paul a lot of times when we talk next week about how paranoid Paul becomes with the disinformation and stuff. Gabe Valdez was, was with him a lot and kind of tried to convince him. Yeah. Like, hey, Paul, I don't know if, I don't think you're right about this. Like you're not on yeah. the right path, but so Paul Benowitz Jr. was born on September 29th, 1936 in Chicago, Illinois. His father was an engineer and from an early age, Paul really looked up to Nikola Tesla. You know, it's interesting. I watched that Mirage Men, the Richard Doty documentary again, and Doty said that Paul was a World War II veteran. But uh, if he was born in 1936, I'm guessing that was not accurate. Yeah. It does not sound like it would be so. <laughs> I know that part you're talking about because it threw me off. I'm like, that's not real. <laughs> you could say that about a lot of what Doty says, though. It's true. We just found one little mm -hmm. uh, inconsistency. A little bit. The Benowitz family moved to Albuquerque around when Paul would have been in middle school. In high school, he excelled in math and science and went to the University of Colorado where he earned a degree in electrical engineering. After he got his degree, Paul joined the U.S. Air Force, which this is what got him really interested in two advanced technologies that aircraft were using. Paul was also the definition of a good American patriot, which is going to end up being his downfall in this story. Woohoo! USA! <laughs> USA! USA! So was Homer. He certainly was. Goddamn right. <laughs> in 1969, Paul founded Thunder Scientific Labs, which focused on manufacturing high-quality humidity calibration equipment and environmental chambers for the U.S. military and NASA. Paul's company was in the private sector. He just had various government contracts set up to sell the equipment. One key product that Paul became known for was a state-of-the-art humidity calibration system. Regarding the environmental chambers built, these were designed to simulate various environmental conditions, and they were a big part of the U.S. military's mm. research. So it sounds very profitable. Yeah, he was very, uh, very successful. Everybody wants to get government and military contracts, for sure. I heard uh, Mitch McConnell's wife just hired Cucks Across America. He's going to sit there and stare and look. <laughs> Is he into this? She's like, oh, yeah, he's fine. Just keep going. <laughs> Bang out my 78-year-old pussy, please. <laughs> Hasn't been touched this way in 50 years. <laughs> we do not age discriminate at Cucks Across America. I'm sure you don't, fella. <laughs> make it work. Sometimes thanks to Blue Chew. But not them because they don't sponsor us, so I go with other people. Sure, sure. Yeah. Paul being so interested in high-level aviation technology and things like that, of course, led him to be interested in the UFO phenomena. 
he wasn't an off the rails crazy UFO person yet, but Paul was a longtime member of APRO, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, um, just to get information and kind of see what was going on in the world of UFOs. Which fun fact that I did not know until researching this one is that uh, in 1969, APRO voted to change their name to the Midwest UFO Network, and then that became MUFON. What, what, what? <laughs> yeah, MUFON! <laughs> and then you bought them, right? Yeah, now I own the company. We are pro-MUFON <laughs> pro on this show. <laughs> fuck yeah. Hey, Nightcap, fuck you. <laughs> Suck my dick. <laughs> Very anti-NICAP over there. uh, He can't say it, but I will. NICAP, you fucking pieces of shit. (laughs) Another thing to note real quick about Paul Benowitz is that his house and the headquarters for his business, Thunder Scientific, was right across the street from Kirtland Air Force Base. Paul could literally walk right out of his front door, sit on his front porch, and, and see what was going on outside the base. I feel like it's safe to say that Paul probably would have had a very different life and outcome if he lived somewhere else. Yes. It's just a victim of circumstance and everything we're going to talk about. I think. It's hey, circumstance. It's the the good patriot thing. Like mm-hmm. He thought he was, he's going to think he's doing a service to yep. the country. He probably could have had a healthy hobby of being into all of this, but it certainly would have went, wouldn't have went as far as it did. That's right. What was, we were talking about this, Ian, you and I last night, was it last night, Two, last night, for Majestic 12, there was a documentary I watched, and it had to be because you guys recommended it. Do you remember this, Dave, where they got into Paul Benowitz, and Richard Doty was in it with a little shitty mustache? We, wa- I watched it. and It I wasn't Mirageman? No, it was not. Yeah, he doesn't have a mustache in that. I don't think it mm. was a different documentary that we watched probably around the time of majestic 12. He, he likes to talk a lot. Yeah. Nowadays. I don't know, but because they, they touched on the, the Benowitz thing. I don't know. doesn't matter. Was it the Bob Lazar stuff Did that cross over to any of this at some point? Not really, no. but yeah, I don't know. All right. It was on Pornhub, and you're confused. <laughs> you're thinking about something else. I searched for the porn that has uh, fucking Richard Doty-looking dudes just banging people out. It's like Areola 51 or something. Right? You did the wrong thing. Yeah. Dick Doty. <laughs> <laughs> also close to Paul, like three miles away, was Sandia Base. For 25 years, Sandia Base, and its sister location, Manzano Base, carried the nuclear weapons for research, development, design, testing, and training that was started by the Manhattan Project during World War II. Fabrication, assembly, and storage of nuclear weapons was also done at Sandia Bay. So there's a lot going on around Paul out here in New Mexico. Lot to see in the sky, I'm guessing. And the stealth program is also being worked mm. on, too. Sometime in 1979, before the cattle mutilation meeting, Paul started to notice strange lights flying over Kirtland Air Force Base. And the same lights were flying over Manzano Base, which was a top-secret base. Um, The community in Albuquerque just knew it as Manzano Mountain. So Paul starts seeing these lights take off from the ground about a mile or so away from his house and silently fly or hover in the sky around these bases. These lights were doing all the classic UFO stuff, flying super fast, 
making impossible turns, and then sometimes just disappearing, like Valdez and the ranchers saw. In July of 1979, Paul decided that he was going to start documenting everything. He started taking pictures and video of the lights. He built specific antennas that he would use to try and pull any radio frequencies coming from the lights. As the months went by, Paul compiled an insane amount of evidence. And what he had found led Paul to believe that aliens were responsible for the lights. Paul didn't see this as exciting or, or you know, something fascinating, anything like that. Paul viewed his findings as very scary, especially since he knew that there were nukes hidden in Manzano Mountain. To the people close by there, especially Paul, who, you know, had these government contracts, it was kind of like a unspoken thing that they knew that there were nukes stored there. It was a secret, but it wasn't a secret to those Open people. Open secret. Yeah, in the community. Well, because so many people that work there live there, I'm sure. And yeah. Things like that. Yeah, so it makes Get sense. Out. Now he's terrified, like, what the fuck are these aliens doing? Was any of the equipment he working with, like, he had the government contracts. Was he building or working with any classified components? We're going to talk about kind of the technology he built and stuff. Was any of this classified stuff that he was building for them? I don't think so. Just stuff he came up with on, on his own, huh? What he made for them almost exclusively was the humidity thing the gauges the chambers all that kind of stuff but no no weaponry beyond that that, no okay i think that's one of the reasons that the story one of the many reasons why the story goes where it goes is because when we see the level of stuff paul builds on his own and what he's able to do with it yeah then the air force is like well we need that technology (laughs) for ourselves because we're going to see i think a big part of this is if a civilian can build this, then we have a problem. Yeah. But it seems at different time, different circumstances, our friend Paul probably could have been a billion-dollar defense contractor. Paul would tell people like Gabe Valdez or other people he trusted through his military work with Thunder Scientific, what he was finding, pretty much like, what do I do about this? We talked about it earlier. Gabe Valdez was skeptical of, what Paul was saying, as everyone else was that he told. Gabe was even more skeptical of Paul's UFO claims in late 1979 because Gabe felt that he had already solved the cattle mutilation issue. A month after the meeting at the library, Valdez held a little press conference with local media and announced that through his investigation with local veterinarians and things like that, they found two drugs in a bull that was mutilated. The first one was Thorazine, which is an antipsychotic to treat schizophrenia, uh, but it's a sedative. It's like where you hear people say like a drug makes them feel like a zombie. Mm. That's it. The other drug was completely unknown. I don't know if it's known now, but at the time it was completely unknown, but it clogged the bull's blood to the point where it could be drained real quick and real clean. Valdez told the media, quote, we know this stuff is made here and it isn't from outer space. Whoever is doing it is highly sophisticated, and they have a lot of resources. They're well organized. Mm, not sure that's the definition of solved, but solved. Can't, in, he canceled out alien life forms, Dave. <laughs> Case closed. Well, <laughs> that it's not uh, just that it's not UFOs. That people are behind yeah. 
the mutilated. Dipshit human beings yeah. who commit all the crimes. So case closed. Hmm. You sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a time of transition, a time of change. Summer is coming to an end and fall is here. With that comes new routines, changing weather, and yes, football season. Does the stress from any of this keep you up at night? Does your brain start talking the minute it touches your pillow? Do your thoughts start racing at inopportune times? Back-to-school routines can be difficult to manage. The cold weather can become a burden. Shorter, busier days can often cause us to question our choices and decision-making process. It turns out, one great way to make those racing thoughts go away is to talk through them. Therapy gives you a place to do that so you can get out of your negative cycle and find some mental and emotional peace. Therapy can be beneficial in helping us learn about ourselves, which in turn gives us the ability to calm our brain down and keep those racing thoughts in check. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and with that extra confidence, nothing can hold you back. So, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Necro today and get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Necro. We're not going to bring up Gabe Valdez much more in the story towards the end of part two, but we can just wrap up the cattle mutilations and stuff like that now. I think that Gabe pretty much solved the cattle mutilation issue. On December 10th, 1967, the United States Atomic Energy Commission started Project Gas Buggy. On this day, they blew up a nuke underground right around the Dulce area. The purpose of this was to see if nuclear weapons could be used to extract natural gas from the ground. So nuclear fracking, (laughs) which regular fracking is terrible for the environment. So I don't know why we thought this was a good idea. It's like the groundwater is going to (laughs) glow. When you get in those fracking towns, you see people taking, you know, their tap water that's brown Mm -hmm. to, you know, town meetings. They're like, and they're telling them how safe it is. Oh, did you drink this? They're like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) you liberal hippies. (laughs) (laughs) They blew off two more nukes underground, one in 1969 and another one in 1973. Like you just said, Dave, regular fracking, people's water was brown. Every time they tested the natural gas or water, anything coming from this, it was too radioactive to use. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> I had never heard this before. I didn't know this. In 1973, they were blowing up nukes underground in New Mexico still? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Is this confirmed or is this? No, that's for real. Okay. Yeah. That's a declassified project. Okay. Like very small nukes? Yeah, I don't know the size exactly, but you felt like you might have heard a little something about it if they were bigger, right? Yeah. Like, like very far underground. Like, ah, oh, it's just an earthquake. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Bury it like twenty-five feet underground. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's got to be far down yes, there. That's it, what I'm it, saying. It, right? Of course, it has to be. Yeah, wild shit we come up with. I never heard that before. It's just a planet. Who needs it? You're not going to be here, right? Yeah, right. Of course, none of us. We'll all be long gone. Fuck them. <laughs> As Mike Namapod would say. <laughs> <laughs>
Fuck them. I, I would say that sometimes. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck them. What, what is that from? I don't know. It could I, literally be any episode <laughs> we've ever done. Not our listeners, though. I never said about our listeners. Mm-mm. Fuck them. Oh, I didn't kill a nobody. <laughs> we finally get a non-murder episode, and here's Dave bringing up the murders. So Valdez concluded that the cattle mutilations were done by people from Project Gas Buggy to see how the underground nukes affected the animals in the area. The hovering lights weren't UFOs, and the silent all-black helicopters weren't paranormal. Because that even goes into early 90s on Iron Bell's like early coast mm. to coast talking about black helicopters and that, how they have this kind of paranormal vibe to them, whatever he theorized that it was technology that the military had that we didn't know about, which makes sense because we did have the technology for a stealth helicopter back in the 1970s. I think the first time that it's was disclosed to the public about using one was in 2011 when we took out Osama bin Laden it was also used in Vietnam a couple times, but that was top secret at the time. From what I was reading online, it sounds like a lawnmower. Hmm. Which I could be off-putting, seeing a dark, all-blacked-out helicopter that sounds like a lawnmower. I could see that. So what we're saying is they blew off the Especially nukes. when it's dropping bombs on you. Yeah. Be a little scared. There's that, too. <laughs> like, oh, oh, what the fuck? Why is everything blowing up? I cut you off, Dave. I'm sorry. No, I was going to... We're saying that they detonated the nuke underground, and then a, a little bit later, they came in stealth helicopters to slice open animals to see what the effect of the radiation or the, the nuke had on them. Mm-hmm. It's a theory, Dave. It's a theory. Mm-hmm. Let's let's wait a minute here. Why would they leave them laying there, though, to stir up commotion around where they're doing this? Wouldn't they just drug them and take them with them? That'd be even if they, would- Even if aliens were doing it, why do the aliens just leave them behind? Why alien, wouldn't the aliens alien, take them? Because aliens are like, fuck them. Let's get out of here. What the fuck do we care? It's not our mess to clean up. That's valid, but I guess if they're trying to keep this secret, why does bringing any attention at all to the area benefit them in any way? Wouldn't they just steal the cow? And are you talking about the government again? Or the yeah, aliens? the government. Okay. And they'd just be chalked up to a missing head of cattle. There was a, an ex-CIA guy, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he talked about this, and um, he told stories of guys in intelligence and in the military that would tell him about these black helicopters and say that, oh, we got these stealth helicopters, and we just go buzzing around out in the desert with them and pretend like we're UFOs and, and stuff. So maybe the cattle is also these guys just staying, fuck it, just take what we want and... And leave them. The UFOs may be the cover story then. The sightings, the cattle are, are the cover story to take suspicion away from this nuke going on off underground. Yeah. Maybe that's why. What if all UFOs are just like meathead dipshit CIA agents that are just like, oh, let's fuck around. Hmm. Let's scare people. And now they've created this entire UFO alien the calls coming from inside the house <laughs> right I'm, i don't believe any of that like what i just said but i'm just saying what if just fucking douchebags out there i think it's possible yeah the guy said that 
you know, they have all kind of fancy lights on them mm. too. And they would just go out there and buzz around and just flash their lights out in the <laughs> desert and shit. I would too. That sounds fun. It does sound pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> People starving to death in this country. And they're like, no, let's use that stealth helicopter to fucking create <laughs> widespread panic. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It's not our mess. They could have taken the rest of the cattle to the food bank, right? At the very least. Just a little bit left of it. Yeah. I see the logic, though. You know, how you get there. Yeah. Maybe the disinformation is the point. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Averting your gaze away from what their important thing is. I'm sure the public would not have been thrilled, too, if they knew about this. That they had detonated some yeah. nukes. And I think I set up a nuke under my house. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like could potentially ruin my whole yeah. uh, ranch. You yeah. know, my... It's the ultimate imminent domain. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, by the way, <laughs> might blow the fuck out of your house. There's <laughs> <laughs> no radiation, right? Oh, no. Oh, you'll be sweet. fine. Yeah, it's go, great. Go take that shower. You're fine. I didn't bring it up because it's not, you know, part of our story, but they did project ass buggy stuff was done in Colorado too. Mm. There were at least one nuke blown off under the ground in Colorado <laughs> trying to get natural gas up. It's been way too much talk on this episode about blowing nukes up underground. <laughs> <laughs> what year was this? Not this okay is insane. Seventies. It's like during the, the OPEC stuff with the oil prices and then the mid seventies. Maybe energy dependence. That was somebody's idea for how we could gain energy dependence. That sounds about right. Do you think they're still doing blowing up nukes underground and we just don't know? I hope so. <laughs> That's fucking <laughs> awesome. That's what you're drinking over there. I can't even imagine some of the stuff that goes on that, that we're not aware of. No, I'm sure it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I can see the logic where you could say that that debunks the phenomena and Gabe Valdez is like out of it at that point. Yeah. But then he went to work for Robert Bigelow in 1996 on Skinwalker oh. Ranch. Um, and he didn't talk on camera until, you know, right before he passed away, 2000 would have been like 2011. And he it's kind of cryptic when he talked about Paul Benowitz and, and what was going on. But yeah, starting in 1996 <laughs> till mid 2000s he was with robert bigelow so mm. and robert bigelow is real big on the cattle mutilations they still are out in skinwalker sure that's why they call them so maybe they aren't debunked maybe it is aliens. yeah he certainly did not solve that crime he put forth a good theory no we put forth a fantastic theory for jean benet but they haven't officially closed that case out just saying we solved that motherfucker Give us our little ribbons and let's You're move real on. proud of that, aren't you? <laughs> I don't think I've ever been more confident in anything we've ever discussed on this show. Okay. I don't know why we are not running all of the police of, in Colorado <laughs> at this point. All the police of the world? But there's Colorado. Let's not get ridiculous. Hello, man. police of the world. I'm Mike Namapod, your new commander. We're going to change things up, how we do things here. Mm-hmm. First thing on the agenda, uh, you guys love taking DNA samples from criminals. I'm taking one from all of you. Please jerk off in these provided cups. I'm going to collect your DNA, and I will now have it. You don't like it? Turn in your gun and your badge. That is all. I just pop up on a screen, and I just I go away. I just like reminding people that we solved that one. 
Especially so, Mike. Rightly so. Pisses off all those fuckos out there. (laughs) So Valdez came up with this theory in May of 1979. And Paul was still recording things going on above Kirtland and Manzato that he fully believed were aliens and a threat to the United States. About a year later, on May 6th, 1980, a 27-year-old woman saying her name was Myrna Hansen called the police saying that she and her eight-year-old son were abducted by aliens. She talked about strange beings, some bright lights, and herds of cattle. The dispatch officer thought that he was being funny and was like, oh, Gabe Valdez is the cattle mutilation guy, so he's going to be all about this. And he radioed Valdez and told him that he had a new alien case for him. Valdez didn't want anything to do with it, so he put her in touch with Paul Benowitz. Like, this is not a police matter, but I know this UFO guy. But there's this fucked up nut job out there. (laughs) He would love to take this one over. This is insane. And her name is not Myrna Hansen. How do you know that? She's not Myrna Hansen. (laughs) How many... uh, how many police officers out there now when there's like a serial killer of like sex workers are like, eh, not in that business anymore, but I know this guy. He's not authorized, but he would love to know about this. I'm going to refer you to him. Tell him about these 13 bodies you found in this yeah. house. He's got a big RV in his backyard. He likes to party. You guys will get along <laughs> swimmingly. It, it, part of it reminds me of, uh, who is it, Randy Quaid in Independence Day? Yeah. 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 That's what yeah. it reminds me of a little bit. <laughs> I just that like that wild drunk that like no one takes seriously, <laughs> but he might have actually seen some shit. Now he's just off the rails. So, of course, when Paul heard about this, he said, absolutely. Bring her to my house and I'll help. Paul is off. In my opinion, Paul is off the rails at this point. He is completely paranoid. Um, Did he ever think about just moving and like getting out of the life? He was determined to figure out what this was. Wants to save the country. He really believed that there was a national security threat happening. Because he was, at this point even, he's getting transmissions from the base that he doesn't fully understand. And he thinks that they're alien, but what they are are top secret coded transmissions coming from the Air Force Base. So Paul has tapped into top secret information from his house that he's able to transmit. Mm -hmm. And, and record. To, and it's got to be maddening when you're 100% sure of something. You can't convince anyone to believe you. That'll drive you nuts. He's in a very obviously a very intelligent guy. Yeah, of course. People, a bunch of people call him a genius when it comes to electronics. So, yeah. I mean, in his mind, he's like, I figured this out. Speaking of saving the country, are we at all concerned? Or is anyone going to bring up the dangers and threats upon us by the latest cult rising up known as Swifties <laughs> because this is getting a little out of hand and I am afraid. You? Really? Have you seen this shit, man? If they decided they're taking over the country, I'm not confident we can stop them. <laughs> what, is, are, what are they doing? That's terrifying you so much. They are singing and dancing. Well organized. <laughs> they are well organized. They are volatile. If you dare cross them, they draw on themselves, which is just the bizarrest of all. And they are led by an alien looking creature. <laughs> so I don't understand what to make of all of this. We're fucked. 
I'm telling you right now, if they turn against us, we're fucked. Maybe it's best we cut this out and just, you know. Oh, we love Taylor Swift. They're, they're, they're going to be on to you now. I know. Well, I'll just put a 13 on my forehead or whatever they do and it'll be all right. right? Isn't that the gimmick? Something about the You tell 13. us, pal. You're the expert, apparently. I am not the expert. I am just a terrified individual. You think Taylor Swift looks like an alien? I, I like She's Taylor a, Swift is cute. I think so too. I don't know. She's seven foot four. She weighs, <laughs> she weighs 96 pounds. Get the fuck out of here. She's mid at best. I don't know about that. I have no put her on a F Mary kill with her. I probably come up. Have we not? You ever used her? I could probably come up with one for her. I don't think so. All right, we'll come up with one. Maybe I'll just think one by the end of the show. All right, all right. They are a hundred percent a cult, by the way. (laughs) Swifties are a cult. (laughs) (laughs) What their end game is, I'm not sure yet. Mm. More to come on this. Uh, Well, I think we'll find out probably before I figure it out. So Paul had. Myrna come live with him so he could help her recall her abduction experience. And mind you, Paul was married and had kids, so everyone's just kind of like, what? Hey, guess what? Myrna and her kid are moving in. <laughs> yeah. They were recently abducted, and uh, yeah, we're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. All right, Paul. <laughs> I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation with his wife. <laughs> Sounds good. Are they staying for dinner? Q, uh, was it Jason Bateman? The fuck they will. (laughs) (laughs) What Myrna said was that she was driving home and she had saw two triangular shaped crafts hovering in the sky over some cows on a ranch. She said that a blue light came down from one of these crafts, locked onto a cow and started pulling it up into the air, which this is the first reference of a cow being abducted. Mm. That famous... Thing you see all the time you know artwork of a cow getting picked up okay that's where this comes from right. the next thing myrna and her son knew everything was over the crafts were gone the cows were gone and they were sitting in their car with the engine turned off where's the beef <laughs> <laughs> myrna started driving home which she said that she should have gotten home around 8 p.m but when she pulled up to her house it was 1 a.m i lost a time same thing happened to betty and barney yep mm. all right skeptical <laughs> paul was a member of apro like we talked about and ever since betty and barney hill hypnosis was the way to go when investigating abductions another member of apro was dr leo sprinkle he was a psychologist and a professor at the university of wyoming dr sprinkle was probably the first member of academia to look into the abduction phenomena. John Mack from Harvard, who we've talked about before came around a little later, but at this time, Dr. Sprinkle was really the only one out there. You know, they used to call uh, Mike, Dr. Sprinkle back in college. Cause he used to walk around and sprinkle roofie potter and all of the, no. all of his frat brothers dates when they had parties. No, never, never, never do any drugging like that. I knew there was going to be some type of joke with Dr. Sprinkle. It's <laughs> a great name. It's a good character. Dr. Sprinkle. He gets brought up in a lot of these stories. Does it? Yeah, you always see him pop up in like abduction books. And stuff. He's yeah. sprinkled around the stories. <laughs> Get you, Dr. Sprink. You know, I looked at Dr. Sprinkle's uh, obituary, oh, yeah. and it said that he was a... <laughs> Why? Why the fuck are you looking at his obituary? I was just curious about Dr. Sprinkle and I came upon his obituary. 
<laughs> and it said that he was an excellent yodeler and a prolific writer of clever limericks. <laughs> this is fucking fantastic. I love him already. <laughs> an excellent yodeler. That was the most random thing we have ever had. He's like, oh, look at this guy's obituary. A lot of limericks, too. There once was a girl from Nantucket. (laughs) So good for you, Dr. Sprinkle. (laughs) So Paul got a hold of Dr. Sprinkle, and Sprinkle was on board to use hypnotic regression on Myrna to get to the bottom of what happened to her, which we're going to see. This is something that Dr. Sprinkle would come to regret being a part of. Dr. Sprinkle showed up on May 11th, 1980 to a situation where Paul was getting deeper and deeper into paranoia and Myrna and her son have been sitting in an echo chamber with Paul for days. It was just Paul talking nonstop about the aliens flying over Albuquerque and everything being a potential threat to the United States. The first thing Paul told Dr. Sprinkle was that he felt that the aliens were using some type of a signal to block Myrna from remembering her abduction. So it would be best if the regression was done in Paul's car and have the car wrapped in tin foil, <laughs> which I, I picture Dr. Spring like, oh, okay, Paul. He's like, you're Ricola! Like, I just picture being the neighbors and you're just like, oh, there's Paul wrapping his car in tin foil. Why are there people in it? Like, you can't open the doors, right? Once it's wrapped, you have to be in the car first. Yeah. Uh, and then out there in New Mexico, cooking in that sun. I hope they at least started the car, get some air condition going. Mm-hmm. You know who else used to cook out in that sun in New Mexico? Walter White and Jesse. Yep. They, they certainly did. You're goddamn right. <laughs> Dr. Sprinkle had agreed to this, but uh, he was reluctant to, to be a part of this. Thanks. <laughs> that like, would be so like, awkward. Wait, you want me to what? <laughs> Cause you don't want to say no and like shut the whole thing down. But at the same time, you're like, uh, okay, Paul, let me sit in your tinfoil car (laughs) under hypnosis. Myrna said that after the cow started to be pulled up to the triangular craft, she and her son got out of the car against their will. She walked out to where all these cows were and they were lifted into the craft the same way that the cow was once inside the craft. They were met by the classic grays. Both Myrna and her son were undressed by the grays and examined. And as Myrna was looking around terrified, she saw the cow that was abducted and being mutilated. Oh, that's scary. Her, her account is really creepy, especially this next part, uh, because she said at that point, a tall looking man, not human, but a, a tall something. Oh, yeah. With yellow skin walked up and she described his outfit as wearing something like the Pope would wear. This man or entity told Myrna that her abduction was a mistake and she wasn't supposed to be there. They only wanted the cows. Then the craft landed somewhere in the desert. Myrna and her son were then led to an elevator that was inside a mountain. And then they were taken to an underground facility where greys and humans were working side by side. At that point, Myrna and her son were separated. And Myrna was taken to a room that had a bunch of clear tanks. Inside the tanks was bubbling liquid and various human body parts suspended in the liquid, kind of like a thick gel. Yeah. (laughs) The next thing Myrna knew, she was on an operating table having some sort of a device implanted into her. 
For the record, I've put many of body parts in thick liquid. <laughs> Is that right? It's not bad. Mm. It's not, not as awful as it seems. <laughs> not for you. No, for my end, it was great. <laughs> you just leave. No okay, clean, no, okay, Dr. Sprinkle. No cleanup needed. <laughs> then Myrna and her son were rejoined in a room where they were hit with bright flashes of light over and over again, and then they were back in the car. It's like the Men in Black pen. Memory yeah. racing. Perhaps. Also reminded me of the MK Ultra stuff with uh, Ted Kaczynski. That was when they mm. hit him with bright lights over okay. and over again. Yep. A couple important details from this regression. Uh, first one, Myrna said that at one point, one of the greys told her, quote, this has to be done. Her saying this in front of Paul is going to lay the foundation for UFO lore for years to come and stuff that's still going on today. Second, the other thing Myrna said, uh, which was completely overlooked at the time, for no apparent reason in the middle of her regression, Myrna asked, quote, where is Roswell, New Mexico? Dr. Sprinkle and Paul both completely ignored this because Roswell wasn't even a thing yet. Bill Moore and Stan Friedman's book on Roswell hadn't come out yet, so 99% of the world had no idea what Roswell was. And Gabe Valdez's son believes that Myrna Hansen was part of disinformation, that she was a plant, mm. that she was working for, for all of this, this disinformation. He said there's no way to prove it, but based on you know his father's you know accounts of things, Paul's writings, especially this talking about Roswell when no one else knows what's going so on. That that. In a couple of years when that book came out would legitimize her story. Is that the point? I don't know. Or she just, Roswell was something that she had mm. seen in briefings or something and brought it up. Or mm. it, it seems too good to be true because Paul's already on this path of aliens somehow finding a way to block, you know, using their transmissions to communicate or, you know, block mm. what people are thinking. The underground stuff, something he's already thinking about. It just seems too good to be true. Like she hit on all the things that Paul is worrying about. Yeah. The third thing is, uh, the best of my knowledge, is this is the earliest mention of an alien implant. Like I said, we were, this story, everything can be traced back to this. It's crazy. Um, going back to Betty and Dreesen, she was abducted in 1967 and there was an implant in her nose, but her regression didn't happen until 81. In the book about her didn't come out until 83. So the public or anyone else for that matter, they weren't privy to the implant phenomena until 1983. And the thing is, is that Myrna didn't say for 100% that she had an implant put in her. Based on context clues, Paul was the one who said implant, and he specifically believed that Myrna 100% had an implant in the base of her neck. On June 3rd, 1980, Dr. Sprinkle went back to Paul's house to do another regression on Myrna. Sprinkle was hoping that he could do things in a calmer way, like skip out on the tinfoil wrap car. <laughs> but when Dr. Sp- learn today. <laughs> yeah. when he got there, Paul answered the door looking like he hadn't slept in days. He had a pistol on his waist and he was holding a rifle. That sounds like when we come down here every week, what Declan looks like. <laughs> he's usually got a dildo in his waist and a vibrator in his hand. And we're like, all right, pal. Well, get 
Get the fuck back in there. It's time to go to work. <laughs> Do good or, you know, you won't get or fed again. You won't get fed again this week. <laughs> Fucking dipshit. Paul whispered in the Sprinkles ear that it wasn't safe out there and he pulled him inside. Once he was inside, Dr. Sprinkles was like, what the fuck is happening? I'm Dr. Sprinkle. I won't stand for this. <laughs> well, how scary does it have to be? This guy, you don't really know him. You know, you your first encounter is this tinfoil yeah, car. Right. You come back this time, he's got a gun, and he's whispering in your ear that it's not safe. Get in here. There's people watching us. I, I feel like, like there's like pizza stains, like sauce on his T-shirt. Right. Like he's just like scruff on yep, his face. Exactly. And according to bloodshot. <laughs> according to Sprinkle, it looked like Paul and Myrna had not slept or showered in Where days. was Paul's family at this point? I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if they left. His wife or... was like, fuck this. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm joining the Swifties. Bye. <laughs> I'm not sure what Myrna's child was doing during this time either. Yeah. The eight year old that was there too for all of this. <laughs> yeah, also that. Like, what the fuck's going on with that kid? Yeah, he's fed. (laughs) Sprinkle kind of had no choice but to do the regression on Myrna again because he's probably terrified that this guy's got a gun and stuff. Sure. This time she didn't provide anything at all, probably because the environment was super stressful. If you believe she's really who she is, and like her mental health was clearly declining, it's not a relaxed situation. Dr. Sprinkle said, we'll try again next time. And when he was safe and away from Paul, he just you know, told Paul, I don't want to be involved in this anymore. He went home to write some limericks, <laughs> clever limericks, and says, Maybe so. there once was a guy named Dr. Sprinkle <laughs> who never went back to Paul's house. <laughs> Sprinkle might have got out at just the right time. Fuck yeah, this. exactly. I'm out of here. So then Paul turned to James Harder. James Harder was a University of California at Berkeley engineer professor by day. And by night, he was a UFO researcher and hypnotist. And he was all about those far out conspiracies. So he was more than happy to, to do this hypnosis with Paul and Myrna. Paul and James Harder got to the point where they were driving Myrna around the desert, trying to figure out what mountain she was taken to where she was taken underground to, to be implanted. Ultimately, Paul decided that where Myrna was taken was the Archuleta Mesa in Dulce. I believe it's James Harden, and he's a basketball player. Oh, plays yeah. For the 76ers. That's what you're talking about, probably. No one knows who James Harder is. <laughs> he's got a sweet beard. He does have a nice beard. Yeah. It's so funny. About an hour ago, someone tweeted a picture of Harden in 2012 without his beard, and you would never recognize him. That's crazy. Really? Yeah. He's been around for. A, I, I don't watch a lot of basketball, but he's been around for a long time, hasn't he? Long time. Would you? Wouldn't you say from when? 2012. Was that like his rookie year or something? Or has he been around a lot? Like close years? to that. Around. I that? don't remember. It is a nice beard. I like it. Oh, it's an awesome beard. He makes really good shoes too. Does he? Mm-hmm. His shoes are really cool. Who's he signed with? Adidas. Paul and Myrna just kind of fizzled out. And in August of 1980, she and Paul went their separate ways. And Myrna doesn't show back up in this story again. Who knows what her real name was or anything like that. She's just gone. And I think this leads more to the theory that she was some type of a disinformation agent. Back to her day job at the agency. Mm -hmm. And who knows what happened to that kid. 
Probably a stuffed animal. <laughs> it wasn't real. Paul didn't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> Just too fixated on the other stuff. What we didn't tell you is that Sprinkle was blindfolded <laughs> the entire time he was in the tinfoil car. <laughs> and it was just Paul in the back who was being the kid like, I don't remember what I saw. I saw the cow. Then the guy dressed like the Pope played with my wiener. And, then, uh, and I woke up at home. I don't know. And booty holes. <laughs> Say it two more times and I'll be allowed back in the studio. <laughs> no, not gonna do it. Rub your booty hole. Bring it back. It doesn't count if you say it yourself, Michael. <laughs> he just pops it. He's like, booty hole, booty hole, booty hole. <laughs> well, I'm here. <laughs> you summon me, Mike Namapon. <laughs> you guys see Macaulay Culkin running? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> like we said earlier in the episode, Paul wasn't really quiet about his research kept bringing it up to people he knew from his work at Thunder Scientific. And everybody just kind of gave him the same thing. Like, yeah, sure, sure thing, Paul. Okay, Paul, yeah. we get it. <laughs> when was the last time you brushed your teeth, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> so on October 24th, 1980, Paul went directly to Kirtland Air Force Base with his findings, and he met with Security Commander Colonel Ernest Edwards. Paul laid out everything we've been talking about tonight. And instead of shutting Paul down, which I think Edwards could have easily done, he said, you know what, Paul, you are on to something. Wait here. Edwards came back in the room with Air Force Office of Special Investigations Officer Richard Doty. And that's where we'll pick back up on part two. How about that setup? Dick Doty. A lot going on here. Not to be confused with friend of the show, Dick Herdown. <laughs> <laughs> We've hit on already where it's, it expands and it'll make more sense to next week. But, you know, just from Myrna Hansen's hypnotic regression, she says the Grays told her this had to be done. That's going to set up the, the treaty that we've talked about multiple times. This idea that there was a treaty between us and the Grays that we gave them permission. To. Eisenhower signed it, right? Right. This is the base for that. Is what this episode random... Hypnosis thing that happened in a tinfoil car. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Someone call those Honda Civics. <laughs> <laughs> she slipped up on the Roswell thing. And Probably. S- and said it too early, I think. So you get the start of that right there. Um, and then the implant phenomenon is, happens here too. Hmm. The Pretty cow cool. being abducted yeah. by a UFO. Pretty cool. It's cool and it's frustrating because then you don't know what's real at all. Look, when there's people spreading false stuff like that, it's hard to make out what's real. Like on Twitter now with all the UFO videos, there's Uh, all kinds of crazy shit being posted. You're like, come on, man. Well, it's like you're talking about a dis, like this is a disinformation show mixed with information that might already be disinformation. Yeah. That like you don't, you don't know. Up from down, a it's, wrist lock from a wristwatch. You're, you know, it's inception disinformation. Like it's just all fucked up. Like you don't. This entire thing could just all be made up and just a disinformation campaign to get us talking about this instead of what's actually going on. I, who knows? I'm not saying that's the truth. I'm just saying like there's just this story is so crazy too because. For the most part, it's it's accurate. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about next week. Richard Doty gets outed uh, so we know a bunch of this stuff, and he talks nowadays. 
there's you know different documents freedom mm-hmm. of information sure Doty loves a talk he's a big talker <laughs> but sure I, Doty's biggest fan is Richard Doty <laughs> like last week the all domain anomaly resolution resolution office came out with their website that's Pentagon sponsored that's like Project Blue Book 2.0, their their goal is to solve everything. Mm. As soon as I looked at it, I'm like, this, I don't trust this at all. This is like clearly disinformation. It's talking about UFO hotspots in the world. Like, why is the Pentagon saying this stuff? <laughs> so it works all these years later on mm. different generations of people into this stuff. There's a nice setup for uh, the next couple parts then. It was. Laid a nice base. We got Paul Benowitz with uh, fucking Papa John's garlic <laughs> sauce on his T-shirt. Answering the door all disheveled <laughs> with a gun in his pocket and a rifle in his hand. Dr. Sprinkle just trying to be a just respectable to, professor yeah. looking into science mm-hmm. and things. Imagine if social media existed back then and he's fucking doing hypnosis in a tin car. <laughs> his career is over. That's that for him. It's just crazy to think that you could trace all this stuff back to nuclear fracking if you really wanted to trace it back there wouldn't that be interesting not to say that ufos aren't real because i fully believe in <laughs> obviously believe in the phenomenon to some degree but richard Doty says 20 percent is real 80 percent is fake most outlandish stuff is the real stuff let's hope so we'll talk about it next week i don't even think his name is richard Doty. Mm. <laughs> so. no, we were talking about that last night a little bit yeah that makes a lot of sense. His name's going to be Richard Duty by the time we're done talking about him. Hmm. <laughs> eh, eh, how about that? Shit. <laughs> All right, good. Anything else on this one? The plan is we'll wrap up with Paul Benowitz in part two. And then since this is our first three-part UFO episode, part three will be where kind of that next generation, not even next generation, but that next level of USO, UFO conspiracy people pick this up and take it to a whole different level where we're talking about the reptilians and all kind of craziness in part three part three is just completely off the rails part one and two are it's a real story that really happened so in my distorted mind it sounds like we're building the history of wcw and part three is just the fucked up like vince russo's (laughs) the world champ and like david arquette's there and we don't know what the fuck's going on dennis rodman and dennis rodman and like oh when so this is going to end like this is not good. That's a good way to look at it. Again, like my acknowledge me comment a few weeks ago, like four people are laughing right now. <laughs> one of them is you. One of them is me. So there's two other people out there that are laughing at that. I saw someone comment. They said they got the acknowledge me joke. That, I don't um, remember what that was. That probably was a. They're like. It's <laughs> <laughs> mm, funny. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> good. I think I was playing with my wiener now. That joke is just for them. <laughs> <laughs> if you play with your wiener, hit me up. I'll send you some floor. Sure form. would like to get some floor. pussy someday. <laughs> <laughs> that Mike Namapod's a funny guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else? Good? I'm looking forward to next week. I love this stuff. It's so interesting. What do we got on uh, Patreon? I got some new patrons here we'd like to thank. Thank you to new patrons Draven James, Holly Lamar, Grayson, Samantha Hawkswell, Kelsey Karam, Glitch Martin, Nathan Miller, I Miss Country Mike, Dwayne Elizondo, Mountain Dew, Herbert Camacho. That's a hell of a name. It is. Darren Beatty, 
Diana Jones Saucita, Miriam Nassery, Kirshners at 14358, Emilio Montero, Christian Lopez, Ty, Claire Murray, Michael Thompson, Abigail Edgerton, Svir Johannes Rulestad, Joe Stevens, Haley Larson, Sarah Johnson, F. Dave, Mary Ian, Kill Mike. Sorry, pal, you didn't make the cut on this no, one. What are you going to do? That, that wrestling fan I was just doing, you would have won that one, though. <laughs> they probably would have fucked me and married me. Yeah. They would have acknowledged I, I'd me. I'd like to kill sure. everyone but Mike Namapana. I can fuck him and marry him and everything. They're like, I'll fuck, I'll fuck Dave, I'll marry Ian, I'll acknowledge Mike. <laughs> That's all I ask. That's all I ask. Elizabeth Rastellini, Micah Bertrand, Kyle Sokolowski, Lauren, Beverly Barnes Green, Julie Selfridge, It's Only Casual, Sierra Marty, Ed Gein's Nipple Belt, Scott Bellasemo, Elizabeth Tits McGee, Ryan Finn, Eliza, Natalie Temple, Tink Inc., Uncomfortable, Jordy, and Maddie. Thank you so much, new patrons. Hey, look, you can't make fun of Ed Gein and his nipple belts until you've seen his shovel in person. <laughs> Ian and, and his I saw vat. his shovel in his vat. <laughs> that was no bullshit. We saw it. There also was that human like flesh, right? Right with the nipple. They had yeah. he had on the wall. Proof positive. And, uh, it was just somebody's. But it, it was wasn't Gein's. It was just like, I'm gonna show you what the real skin yeah. and nipple look like and what are we feeling about this shovel? <laughs> I was feeling like I wanted. What are we money. feeling about the authenticity level of this shovel? I was feeling like I wanted my money back. <laughs> and that was like literally the first room we went in. We were twenty minutes into this two-hour tour. <laughs> what are you feeling about the fifty-dollar purchase price of this tour? I feel like I wish I was like Dave faking a stomachache. So I can have this. Dave was at the strip club all afternoon <laughs> having the fucking time of his life. We're sweating our asses yeah, right. off watching nonsense. Yeah. I was at Spearmint Rhino getting afternoon or morning bottle service. <laughs> yeah, right. Ian, <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Blair, Allison, and, and Jen531. Thank you for the awesome reviews. Dave, anything else on your end? I don't have anything. All right. Nothing. Not a single fucking thing. Nothing. All right. Uh, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, at Necronomapod. Necronomapod.com. We got stickers available. Amazon.com for all of our merch. Uh, just search Necronomapod on there. And Patreon.com slash Necronomapod for all of the bonus content. And it's good content. It's a ton of good content. A lot of good shit going on there. There really is. We got a good one coming up. This poll one is really interesting. Oh, yeah. This one I'm working on right now. Yeah, we we might have fucked up and put a uh, real good one on the poll by accident. <laughs> and then it won, and we're like, well, fuck. Now we got to do this. This could have been a Sunday show. And true. for only $5 a month, you can check that episode out when it debuts. Why wouldn't you? Can't even get a macchiato for that anymore. I don't I believe that's correct. Um alright. Alright, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>